0: Okay, 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 okay. Uh, I'm not used to this kind of star treatment, okay? The only glory that you should give to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's, let's applaud for the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, it's so great to be back here with all of you today again. And uh, it's, it looks like good old time. <laughs> when I came in here, you know... One of the few persons who first greeted me is who? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, folks, like, you know, pastor folks. <laughs> okay, anyway, uh, thank you, Pastor Anthony, and all your leadership here for extending this kind invitation to share with you and join you in the celebration of the 45th anniversary of Armokio Methodist Church. And also on behalf of our Trinity Annual Conference, in case those of you who do not know, that uh, Amokyo Church belongs to you know a bigger family with 20 other sister Methodist churches, English Methodist churches. And so I bring you greetings on their behalf and wishing all of you a happy 45th anniversary. So this morning we had, uh, or the, I had uh, uh, another anniversary, uh, church anniversary to attend it's, uh, at uh, King Hill. And so I was... Uh, Rushing here and uh, having my lunch halfway. <laughs> <laughs> rushing away. That's why I'm late here. Okay. Well, I, I just want to share with you, uh, a passage of scripture from the Old Testament, Second Chronicles 26, 1 to 5, uh, 16 to 19 and 21. So uh, let me in a while just read that for you. Uh, maybe you can have that on a PowerPoint. Is it on a PowerPoint? Okay. So, 2 Chronicles 26, beginning from verse 1. In case you're just wondering, you know, how come I'm so casual, usually I have more a formal code, yeah? because today we have, uh, I mean, Cane uh, Hill Methodist, they actually, I think most of you already know, Cain uh, Hill Methodist is going to be shifted to Tenga, alright? So, this morning after the anniversary service and the Holy Communion service, they had a prayer drive all the way to the uh, Promised Land, and we had a prayer, and that's why I had to be a bit casual, you know? <laughs> No time to change, no time to change. So, (laughs) okay, so let me just read a scripture for you, all right? Second Chronicles 26, beginning from verse 1. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. Now, he was the one who built Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Uzziah was only 16 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jecoliah. She was from Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And just as his father Amaziah had done, he sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Next portion of scripture, 16 to 19. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Ezariah, the priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, it is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. And while he was raging at a priest in their presence before the incense altar in the temple, Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. Last portion of Scripture, 21. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this afternoon. Thank you again for this wonderful opportunity that we could come together as a community, this community, this church that you established 45 years ago, Ang Mokyo Methodist Church. We thank you again for your faithfulness and for your grace upon this church. Thank you also particularly for the past leaders and pastors that you've raised this uh, church, in this church, Lord, to build this church for your glory. And today, this generation again, we thank you that the reason why they are able to be here, we remember this one thing. It is all because you are good and you are faithful. And so even as we continue this worship service to give glory to you through the listening of your word, we ask, Lord, silence all the voices in our hearts. And let Jesus and Jesus alone be exalted. And so hide your servant also behind your cross and let his words be your words and only Jesus be glorified. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. You know, afternoon time is a difficult time for anyone to sit down to listen to a sermon, a lecture, or a teaching. So I'll try my very best, okay? But if you sleep, then I'm very anointed because you can sleep. (laughs) Okay, let let me just do a, a little exercise here, okay? Now, help me with this, okay? Now, if you are below 60 years old, can I request you to stand where you are right now? Stand. Below 60. Below 60. Below 60. Okay, look, look at this generation here. You think it's half of this church? Uh, uh, this congregation now here? Half, half below 60? Or less than that? Less, huh? Okay, sit down. <laughs> I suspected this. <laughs> you know, according to our government's annual population in brief report that was released just last Friday, okay? It is reported that the proportion of citizens, our Singaporean citizens, aged 65 years and above, is rising at a faster pace compared with the last decade. All right? And it is said that by the year 2030, one in four Singaporeans will be aged 65 and above. And that includes me. Okay? And so you can see just size. you stood up, you know, less than half of this church is below 60. And, um, you know, someone said to me, I can't remember where from our annual conference gathering, you know, uh, anecdotally, you know, someone said that the Methodist church, okay, the rate of aging population ratio is much faster than the national average. And I think it's true, all right? Um, Well, God has blessed us with so much, you know, people, you know, in the past itself, you know, but our congregation in reality are aging. Okay, and so this afternoon, I thought an appropriate message to bring to all of you is to remind us that we are old. <laughs> if you're not there yet, one day you will be. Okay, I remember when I first came to this church, I was forty years old, all right, I, and I never envitiate you know I would be 60, 65 soon you know or what you know, Wow, but 20 years it just passed just like that. You know, here I am. how old I am? I got my senior card last year. <laughs> That's why I asked 60 years and below, not 61 and below. <laughs> so anyway, I think this message is appropriate for us. Although Amoku Methodist Church is 45 years old. Okay, but I think it's still in the middle, you know, and it's growing older by the year. And so let's look at the Word of God, you know, what God could teach us. You know, all age is a perfect time, really, to be fruitful. Yeah? But, it is also the time where we can be in a danger of playing the fool when we get older. You know, there is a saying that goes, there is no fool like an old fool. <laughs> and I believe this proverb, what this proverb is saying to us is that when, as we grow older, we ought, of course, you know, to, because of our experience, you know, of what we have learned through the years, is that we should become wiser. You know, the breadth and the depth of our experience of life as it grows should increase our wisdom. And one has to really be a very dull student to grow older without growing at least a little bit wiser year after year. But you know, the tra- the irony of life is this, and the tragedy is this, that the wisdom that we have acquired through the years, you know, sometimes have a way of feeding on itself And it can undermine us where we can become so full of ourselves that we become arrogant and we develop an attitude where we feel that, you know, we are above everyone and we are above error. And I think for an old person to arrive at such a state is really tragic. And I really hope that none of us, none of us will end up to be an old fool. You see, wisdom above all things Ought to teach us one of the greatest lessons in life, and that is to be humble. To be humble. You know, humility is a virtue that involves wisdom of a more than worldly kind, a virtue which is hard to gain and even harder, you know, to keep. And of course, sometimes other people help us in the course of it. You know, some people help us to lose that kind of judgment, that kind of wisdom in our life. For example, you know, if enough people tell us that they appreciate our wisdom. You know, or they appreciate, you know, our ability, so on and so forth. You know, the trouble, and that's why I don't want you all to clap at me, because look, I may one day become a fool. And then you guys may be embarrassed, you know, Allah, I will clap for you, now you become a fool. (laughs) Walao eh. Alright. And the truth is this, yeah. You know, if enough people were to tell us how good we are, how wise we are, we may soon become... So proud and so full of ourselves that we begin to to have a sense of this infallibility. And most of us don't really need many votes to convince us. Two or three persons is enough, you know, to make our head so bloated up, you know, that when we walk out, like saying it. <laughs> and this is a precisely, you know, the kind of feeling that is the burial ground of sound judgment. Once we become full of ourselves, once we have the sense of infallibility you see and that will prevent us really from hearing any other voice other than our own and that include voices both human and divine now i have no doubt about that okay the the fact is this that all of us all of us are vulnerable and especially vulnerable to foolish decisions as we grow older. The very qualities that make us wise can also be the very qualities that undermine us, make us more susceptible to such fallibility, and then we become an old fool. And that's the reason why you know older people, you know, sometimes in the midst of a discussion, you know, they 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 sometimes like this tendency, they have this tendency to interject, you know, talk 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 talk, and then interject, you know, uh, when you live as long as I have, you know better. Alright, or otherwise they shut you up, you know. <laughs> that sounds familiar? Uh, old people? Uh, I don't call old people. Uh. Uh, elder people? <laughs> you know the literal translation, right? I've eaten more salt than you have eaten more rice. And obviously, you know, when when someone spout that kind of statement, what happens is they tend to silence all other conversation. Especially if you're the oldest person with a, you know, a crop of white hair down here. I see a few down here. Wow, white hair, one. Wow, respect? I ah, respect, respect. <laughs> and then you know, usually when these people speak, you know, there's silence. Then you know, the the older person is, you know, ensconced the throne of infallibility, a place that makes them vulnerable. And so the saying is true: there is no fool like an old fool. Now, while this pungent proverb, okay, does not appear in scriptures. The scripture scriptures, however, does provide us some notable examples of aged foolishness. And so for the remaining of our time, I'd like to bring for us three examples. In fact, three kings in the Bible to show us, you know, what all aged foolishness looks like. So quickly, alright, the first one is King Uzziah. The passage of scripture that I read for all of us. Now, who is King Uzziah? Let me just briefly say that. Well, according to the scripture that we've learned just now and read just now, we learned that this, he's, he became a king in, in, in Judah while he was just a young person, 16 years old. You know, imagine a 16 years old becoming a sovereign, a king, ruling over a country, making decision, you know, of life and death even. I mean, can you entrust it to a 16 year old? But this Uzziah became king. 16 years old. And he reigned for 52 years. And we were told from scripture that he enjoyed victory after victory, success after success during the early years of his kingship. In fact, according to the word of God, King Uzziah received the highest vote of confidence in kings, right? The chronicle, uh, the chronicler or the historians recorded for us in second Chronicles 26, four, where it says, he did what was right in the Lord's eyes. You know, you look at all the kings, whenever they have that faith, that's the highest commendation that a person or a king can receive. And so the chronicler proceeds to give a very impressive summary of Uzziah's achievement and one of the most complete of his kind in the books of Kings and Chronicles. We learn that King Uzziah fame spread far and wide as a result because of his success. Maybe he was able, you know, he was talented. And surrounded by good people that helped him. But what happened was this. When all these success came to him, he became so powerful. And that's where the tragic fate awaits King Uzziah. Instead of growing wise as he gets older, he turns out to be a fool. And 2 Chronicles 26.16 reads for us. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride Led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, if you know your Bible well, you will know that it was not in the place or right or responsibility of a king to take over and perform religious duties in the temple of God. That is not the king's responsibility. The role and responsibility was strictly, you know, reserved for priests. Anything to do with the temple, you know, that's the responsibility of the priest. But scripture records for us that King Uzziah became so powerful that, you know, now he thinks that well, he can just take over anything he wants. And so he disregarded God's instruction and instead he went straight to the temple and he performed the religious duties that were restricted only to the priests. And as a result of his action, what happened was this. We were told King Uzziah incurred the wrath of God where God smite him with leprosy where he lived the last years of his life in a pathetic state, separated from his family, barred from worshipping in the Lord's temple until he died. Now, this is a tragic story of a person who started well in life but ended up so badly at the point of, you know, in Uzziah's life, you know, he should have been, he should been, have been at his best, offering the most effective leadership to the country and doing most of it for his country. You know, but those years, when he became so proud and powerful, God removed him and he was essentially out of the office. King Uzziah had grown older, but his success did not make him more humble and it certainly did not make him wise. In the end, He became an awful. You know, the lesson that we can learn from King Uzziah is clear. As we grow older, you know, we need to be careful how we handle success and power in our life. As we grow older, we need to be able to learn how to be careful to how to handle the success and the power that has been invested in our life. You see, both our success and our power can elevate us, but at the same time, it can unravel us and make fools out of us. Now listen to some of the wise words that, you know, the people who know of the dangers of success and power. The first one is Paul Bronson, American journalist and author. This is what he says, quote, Failure is hard, but success is far more dangerous. If you're successful at the wrong thing, a mix of praise and money and opportunity can lock you in forever, unquote. And another person, Richard D.J. Daly, American politician, says this, quote, power is dangerous unless you have the humility, unquote. So that's King Uzziah for you, someone that God could potentially use as he gets older, but unfortunately, he didn't get wiser. And his pride, his arrogance unraveled him. The second king that I'm going to share with you is none other than King David. You know, Israel had no greater king than King David. He became, you know, the measure of all those who followed him to the throne. And you know, David, you know, he's described as what? A man after God's heart. He sinned at times, and there's no doubt about it, you know, because he's a human like any one of us. But you know what? The, the, the admirable thing about King David was this he had this capacity, you know, when he sinned, when he's wrong, he's willing to acknowledge it immediately. You know, and he decided above all to please the Lord, and that is the reason why I believe that he became a man after God's heart, and God so was so delighted with him. But unfortunately, unfortunately. This king is also among those who played the fool in his last days. And worse, he did so in reprise of some of his noblest moment. Now, let me tell you the story. You see, in David's reign as king of Israel, you may recall that King David suffered a very devastating blow involving his son Absalom. The son who at one time, you know, seemed to be the most promising member of the royal family to take over King David. And the Bible described that you know, Absalom, you know, was strikingly handsome. He was the son of a princess and he was politically talented and savvy. Absalom was also first mentioned in the Bible as murdering his half-brother Amnon, David's eldest son, in revenge for the rape of his full sister, Tamar. You remember that story. And for this, what happened is when King David came to know about it, King David punished him and he banished him from his kingdom. But eventually, as the story unfolds, he, he he restored you know Absalom back again to his favor, you know, and then through the good offices, of course, of his cousin Joab. But what happened is, is after the restoration, David continued to ignore his son Absalom. And as a result of that alienation, Absalom decided to take matters onto his own hands and he finally planned a coup. A coup against his father, David. And Absalom was successful. It was said that he was successful in his coup and he managed to get some of the king's key administrative, you know, and military personnel to be on his side, forcing his father, King David, and those loyal to him to be on the run for their lives. Now this is tragic. A son turning against the father. Can you imagine that? It's really tragic. You see, and you know when a person is on the run, who's on, who has power and on the run, you know what happened? Old enemies chased after him. So they quickly came in pursuit of David. And among those who pursued him was what? A man by the name of Shimei. Uh, the, you know, the Bible is spelled S-H-I-M-E-I. Uh, it can be pronounced Shimei, <laughs> uh, but the correct spelling is Shimei. Okay, now who is Shimei? Well, he 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 was a distant relative of the late King Saul. As David and his men fled, you know. Shimei took the opportunity. Now is a time to get back at this king, you know, who's, you know, who had, you know, gone against my cousin. No, no, he was not happy. So he stood by the rock side, and as David and his men came by, you know, he started taking rocks and threw at him. It threw at him, you know, calling him murderer, murderer, you know, despicable. And this you can find in Second chronic I'm um, Second Samuel 16:17, 16, 16:7, 16, sorry. And one of David's god, you know, was so angry, you know, because David didn't do anything. So he asked permission, you know, to kill this Shimei. Yeah, and you know what? How did King David respond? This was his finest moment. This is what he said. David said in 2 Samuel 16, 11 to 12, he says this. He says to the God, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. Now how much more than this Benjamin? Leave him alone. Let him cursed. For the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me His covenant blessing instead of His curse today. You know, my friends, you want to know another reason why God is, you know, so endeared to David. It's because of this. His, you know, He's not a person who pursues vengeance. And you know that famous episode when he had opportunity to King, King Saul, He didn't lift his finger. When King Saul was served right to him, once he killed King Saul, all his problems was solved, but he did not take matters into his own hand. And here we see another episode of this. In the midst of defeat and public shame, you know, David was at his finest. He could easily summon his guard into you know, the get rid of this Shimei. But you know what? A few days later, David's character proved even better. His forces managed to bring the whole revolt under control, and though at, at a great price, David was once more restored to his throne, and he was secured on his throne. And one of the first person to come, you know, this time, you know, to to offer him congratulations was who? None other than Shimei, the very person when King David was running, you know, to a stone. wow, cursing my murderer, no one now, wow, praise the Lord, you are back, wow, you know, Sanka. <laughs> 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 wow, she, may go, huh? wow, <laughs> so, she may come here and you know, offer congratulations, you know. And scripture records for us that she may, you know, fell to his feet, you know, you and, know, and upon David's feet, you know, and pleaded for David for mercy, you know. And, and he, this is what he says, you know, uh, in 2 Samuel 19, 19, 20, he says, may the Lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind, for I, your servant, know that I have sinned. And today, you know, I've come here as first from the tribe of Joseph to come and meet my lord the king. I think you can imagine the scene, right? Now tell me, if you were David, what would you do? <laughs> Sorry, ah, uh, today I'm in the mood, ah, uh, the hockey all came out. <laughs> uh, you know, most of the time in the president's office, you know. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so here, my home ground, ah, uh, uh, I can relax a bit, now, uh, Okay, uh? <laughs> uh, no, okay, like, Actually, the truth is this, like, I know it's afternoon, that's why I'm trying to make you a little bit you know, attentive to me. <laughs> okay, anyway, you know. I'll talk to you afterwards. (laughs) Okay. Shimei Shimei was appealing for his life, okay? Because he now realized that he had played the fool, both in his judgment and his words and his actions, okay? And one of David's attendants actually wanted to kill Shimei. But here's where King David once again rose to his finest hour. In 2 Samuel 19.22, he says this. David replied, Now what does this have to do with you, you sons of Zariah, one of the gods that want to, offer to kill Shimei, uh, Shimei? What right do you have to interfere? Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Don't I know that today I'm king over Israel? It was David's finest hour. You see, David knew who he was. He didn't have to destroy anyone to prove that he was king. And, you know, I wish the story of David would just have ended there. You know, and we would have a great memory of David. And I like the last picture, you know, of King David. It's one of the Bible's finest characters to be studied in, a study in nobility. Unfortunately, what happened is this. As King David grew older, his age came with a mixture of wisdom wisdom. And pattiness. You see, in his parting words of counsel to his successor Solomon in 1 Kings 2, David urged his son Solomon, you know, everything fine, you know, giving advice to Solomon to walk in God's way, observe God's law, commandment and judgment. Then in the list of the details, David gave one instruction that totally showed his foolishness. 1 Kings 2.8.9. 9. Let me read that for you. He says this, And remember you have with you Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Behurim, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahanim. And when he came down to meet me at Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now, but now, do not consider him innocent. You're a man of wisdom. You know what to do with him. Bring his gray head down to the grave. In blood. You know, those are the last recorded words of King David. But it's hard to imagine that such contrary counsel come from the very same lips. And honestly, these are not the words that I would like David to make his exit. Now what happened? What happened? You know, years before David knew he, who he was, he knew he was king. He didn't have to execute anyone to convince himself to his office. He knew that God was at his sight. You know, when God is with you, you know, you, if you trust God, you don't have to take matters on his, to your own hands. You can leave it to God to settle it. And he knew that from experience. But what happened when he grew older? Not just older, but old. And by this time, he has given up the throne. He's no longer had the sufficient body heat to fall asleep in comfort. And he has passed the kingship to his son Solomon. And all that is left for him right now was what? Revenge. Revenge. Revenge on a poor fool who is hardly worth mentioning. And you know what? What David did, really, in taking revenge, was that David reduces himself to Shimei's level. Now, who's playing the fool now? Now, David is the one playing the fool. And here's the sorriest part of the story. You know, Shimei couldn't make a fool of David years before when he mocked the king along the roadside when King David was fleeing away. But Shimei looked ridiculous, you know, when he was taunting, cursing David, you know, throwing stones at him, you know. And David looked so kingly, maintaining his dignity. But you know what? In the end, Shimei wins. Shimei wins. In time, Solomon had Shimei executed. And you know what? Shimei was finally able to do in his death what he couldn't do with his dirt and stone and curses when he threw at David when he was alive. And that is, he was able to make David look like a pathetic fool. A person full of pettiness. And so here's a fair warning to all of us since all of us have the unfortunate capacity to harbor a grudge, right? You know, a grudge, with it, if you don't realize it, comes with a hunger for revenge. You know, it's really bad stuff to hide in our soul, in some dark corners of our soul, during our days of strength. You know, when our bodies get less strong and our self-esteem susceptible, you know, we may decide wanting to resurrect this grudge, not only to its ugly size, but to Enlarge it to a place where it can really do real harm. And then the proverb proves true. There is no fool like an old fool. And so from the life of King David, we do well to heed the word of God that warns us about harboring bitterness, anger in our heart as we grow older because there will be consequences and it can be disastrous. Hebrews twelve fifteen, I know in the Living Bible translation says this: Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you, for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. So the final example, that's the second example of a king. The final example is David's son, none other than who? King Solomon. King Solomon. The wisest man that ever lived, if ever a young man had everything going on in his life, it was King Solomon. Cherished son of the great king, ordained to the throne by his father and by God, he received an endowment that every king, every president, every prime minister, governor, mayor, college president, or corporate execu- executive could only long and long for only. What was a gift? The gift of wisdom. The gift of wisdom He asked God, you know, when God says, "No, I give you anything you want, you just name it. He didn't ask for riches, wealth, fame, nothing. He only asked for one thing. Wisdom. Why? So that he could fulfill his assignment as king to govern the country with justice and insight. Any person who rises to the executive level can take courses, you know, in administration and in decision making in 101. But wisdom, you can't find that in all those courses. There's something else. While a person can pick up you know, wisdom in you know, a you know, to life's journey and experiences of life, there are, however, some wisdom, what we call instincts of wisdom that cannot be learned. It cannot be picked up by sheer human experience. It is simply a gift from God. And this was the kind of unique wisdom that God had gifted Solomon. But you know, the tragic thing about Solomon is that as he grew older, He did not grow wiser. He didn't steward this gift of wisdom that God has given him well. You see, one of the things you know that Solomon had an eye for beauty. Beauty in gardens, books, horses, wonders of nature, and especially what? (laughs) Niran. Niran. You know, at first, you know what happened was this. You know, he married... Pharaoh's daughter, which may have been somewhat of a political act, you know, and certainly I think was a wisdom that God gives him also to guarantee peace so that, you know, they make alliance, you know, huh? <clears throat> because in those days, what happened, you know, when, when Solomon inherited the kingdom from King David, you know, they, they were still not having peace. They were still having fightings, you know, with the neighbors or this other thing, you know, and so he came up with this brilliant idea, you know, why don't we become chinke? What do you think he went to approach his leader? I, you know, I, I married their daughters, you know, and then after that, we become chinkai, you know, in-laws, you know, so, you know, we are kakinang, you know, so kakinang, bo siang kang ma, except tam siong, right? And so that was what he did. But scriptures, because what well, he didn't stop there, he began to love many other foreign women. Okay, Bible quiz time. How many wives did Solomon have? Huh? One thousand? Who said that? Come on here and stand. <laughs> one thousand, that's correct. Okay. Alright. To be precise, you know, uh, seven hundred, I think, wives and three hundred concubines. Yeah. One thousand. Wow. Any man like that? <laughs> you go one thousand problem. <laughs> hey, sorry, sorry, I, I'm not being sexy. Ah, sorry, sorry. Ah. <laughs> Uh, please forgive me, woman. After you come and attack me, ah, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pastor Melvin always remind me never mess around with a woman. Sorry, ah, uh, sorry, ah. Uh. <laughs> now I'm, I'm see me I Please, ah, uh, please, ah. Uh. <laughs> okay. And so what happened? We were told that this woman came from various nations, you know, and that the Lord expressly commanded that no Israelite is supposed to marry, you know, these foreign men, women. Why? Because they may turn their hearts to their God. But you know, by this time, maybe, you know, Solomon was already getting very influential. You know he thought, you know, he was above God. And so he didn't heed God's word. He thought he was wiser. He went ahead, intermarried all these foreign women. In the end, God's word proved true. The woman that he married unraveled him and turned his heart towards their gods. You can read all about it in 1 Kings chapter 11. You know, the man who built a temple that honored God and prayed at his dedication in one of the most memorable prayers in Scripture, chooses as an old man going from one pagan shrine to another, playing a fool, a poor old fool. Now, what made him do it? How could this man of wisdom stumble into such foolishness? Now, I'm sure flattery plays a part, his foreign wise flattery, you know, like the saying says, <laughs> right? All the girl needs to do is, please, honey, please, please. You know, and, you know, the man's heart melt. And King Solomon, because he loved for a woman, you no, know, he's heart melt, okay, 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 okay. Go ahead, go ahead, you know. So one thing is clear, over the years, Solomon forgot some of the very important things that he learned. First, he forgot that his role as a king was God's gift to him. There were siblings who were more senior than him, you know, but God chose him. He forgot that. Secondly, he forgot that God had bestowed him with his unique wisdom so that he can be a blessing to the nation and bring glory to God. Third and finally, Solomon forgot his own prayers. Remember that at the dedication of the temple, he said to God that God was a covenant keeper who blessed those who showed loyalty, who walked before him with all their heart. 1 Kings 8.23 You know, it's surprisingly how easy it is for us to forget past spiritual experiences, including our past prayer. You know, the truly, truly great souls and saints are those who never forget their spiritual experiences and prayers to God. Because these are the prayers that they made and covenant and promise to God, and if you continue to remember that, it makes you humble. And one such person, you know, is who? John Newton, the Anglican priest who gave us the hymn. Are you there? Are you there? <laughs> if you're there, say "Amazing Grace." Are well, you are not there? Who's sleeping now? Let's say that again: "Amazing Grace." Yes, John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. You know, John Newton wanted to be sure that neither he nor future generations should ever forget the divine mercy and grace that he had experienced. In fact, in his epitaph, you know, that he prepared for his own burial, he used these words. Quote, John Newton, Clark, once an infidel and libertine. But they reached mercy of our Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the of faith he had long labored to destroy it. John Newton remembered. And that kept him humble. And he was wise till the day he died. You know, Solomon would have done well if he had followed exactly what John Newton did to engrave his earlier prayer, where he could read it in his later years, faltering years, to remind him to be faithful to God. But he didn't. And so there we have three examples of aged foolishness. And so as I bring my sharing to a close, I'd like to answer a final question. Can I? Can I? Ah, okay. I give it to you. All right. And so as I bring my sharing to a close, you know, I want to just share, you know, a few lessons on how we can protect ourselves to the passing of years, you know, from growing to be an old fool. So the first lesson quickly is this. We must always remember our past, our beginnings. Remember where we came from. The people, especially who have blessed us with their words, with their gifts, their love. The times that we have been saved from our own sin and foolishness because they have helped us. We must never forget all these people in our lives. We remember also many unearned blessings. You know, how God has blessed us. And honestly, those blessings is not because you're so good. You know, you're fantastic. No, it was really sheer grace of God. It is no great tragedy to forget, you know, when we leave our keys or some name or event, but it's quite another thing to forget past blessings because the memory of who we are, the nature of our indebtedness is what I call character memory. When you remember your past, it keeps you humble. And research, research, research has shown that remembering our past is fundamental to being part of what is to be a human. And importantly, our personal past Memories give us a sense of continuity. The same person. You know, when you begin humbly, you want to remain humble, right? And that's one key. As you remember your past, your past can help you to be humble, to remember your humble beginning. They provide important details of who we are and who we like to be. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we can guard against is this, from going to be an old fool. Guard against any pride and bitterness in our lives. The pride that we're talking about is a kind of pride which is, you know, there's a healthy kind of pride, you know, where God would want us to have, you know, so that, you know, we can be confident, you know, we can be secure. But there's a negative type of pride, you know, excessive self-esteem known as conceit or arrogance. You know, such pride is basically a sin of attitude of the heart and spirit. And so we must do our utmost best to diligently guard against pride in our lives as we grow older. You know, the fact of the matter is is Christians are not exempt from the sin of pride. We can easily, easily be seduced into such pride when we experience success, even success that comes from serving the Lord as shown in the example of King Uzziah. You know, I like what John Wooden once said. He says this, quote, Talent is God-given. Be humble. Fame is man-given. Be grateful. Conceit is self-given. Be careful. And I think he's right on the spot. And as for bitterness, I don't have to belabor this point, you know, as I've shown you in the above example of how having a bitter heart and holding a grudge can lead to disastrous consequences. The third lesson is this. We must learn to keep and obey God's commandments no matter what. Remember the royal mistakes of the king, Israel's king, especially King Solomon. You know, great soul who erred when they should have known better. You know, the truth is this. The word of God sometimes, in fact, most of the time, are foolishness to us. I mean, like for example, when someone do evil to us, God says, do not return evil for evil. Return evil for good. Wow, what nonsense is that? I mean a fellow do me harm, you know. Wow. The very you know, lucky, you know, I didn't even like hunt me, you know, I just don't do anything. You know what? The truth of the matter is if you truly practice the word of God, it's gonna be unfair to you. You're gonna be taken advantage of. You're gonna be looked down upon. But you know what? The word of God says this. Heaven and earth will pass away. But God's word will never pass away. Because in the end, God's word will always prove true and true. In the short term, we may lose out. We may lose face, be ashamed, embarrassed, whatever, because we are practicing God's word. But you know, in the long term itself, God's word always proved true. And God will elevate the man on the woman who esteem and live out his word. And so why is this a man who not only keeps them, but obeys them? And remember, God will, God's word will always remain true. And his word to us are not meant to restrict or even to restrain or constrain us. His words are meant to protect us, to correct us, to guide us, and to help us stay clear of the troubles in life. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Fourth, we must develop a grateful heart to God. Remember and always give thanks for the goodness of God that has made you rich in so many ways. God, give thanks for the sins for which you have been forgiven the perils and the dangers that you've escaped in life, the mistakes for which you have been, you know, you have recovered. You know, a trip down such memory lane of gratefulness to God does much to balance the soul and keep us humble. You know, because otherwise what happens is is when we forget all these things and be thankful to God, we can become proud. As George Herbert, you know, an English Anglican priest and poet once said, you know, this man who really understands what it is to have a grateful heart. He says this to God, You have given me so much to me. Give me one more thing. A grateful heart. A grateful heart. Finally, we need to learn how to recognize the warning signs that the Spirit of God faithfully raises in our own souls. You know, God speaks in many ways. <clears throat> God uses Spirit Spirit to speak to our hearts, to our soul. And some of the way that God has will use to speak to us is our God-given conscience. Some, you know, through godly counsel from friends and loved ones. Some, through good, old-fashioned common sense. And of course, through God's word, the Bible. You know, we would do well to heed all these warning signs, but God faithfully raised it to our attention. You know, God has not left us alone. He surrounded us with community, with people who love and care about us. All right? And sometimes when these people come to you and give you all the counsel, don't ignore them. Because who knows? You you never know. God is using them to speak to you. So we would do well to heed all these warning signs. So by a certain age, we should know the nature of the highway of life on which we are traveling. Know it well enough to protect ourselves against lives, shops, turn, and curves and steep inclines. We should also know that when our soul is running low on fuel, don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed to seek help. No one is above, you know, help at all. I mean, none of us can come, would come to a point where we don't need anybody help. All of us at some point, you know. So there's nothing to be ashamed of. Seek help. Remember, we're never too old or too wise that we don't need anyone. Growing older is a lovely gift. But ironically, it has its own hazard. Some old fools have demonstrated as much. And I pray that none of us, none of us will end up like King Uzziah, King David, and King Solomon. And remember God's grace and God's wisdom are abundant for every age. And for my prayer for all of us, that as you and I grow older, may we continue to grow in grace and in the wisdom of our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We thank you again for your scripture, your word that comes alive to us. And this afternoon, Lord, we thank you again for helping us understand how it is so important it is that as we grow older, we don't end up to be all fools like King Uzziah, King Solomon, and King David. And so I pray for all of us that we will always be able to live a life worthy of this calling that you've given us and above everything else. Walk the straight and narrow path instead of the broad road that leads to destruction. And even as we do that, we trust and believe that one day as we meet you face to face, you will give us the highest commendation and say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.